Lord, I, I don't think this is it. But he kept bringing it back to mind and so um, and heart. And so I, I feel that this is God's word for us today. Um, and, and the reason I thought, thought not, because it's about Pentecost. You know, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher, although I have been called a Bapticostal, which I kind of <laughs> like that word, because I believe in the fullness of the Pentecostal experience for believers. And, um, and it's kind of like, I thought in a way it was like bringing coals to Newcastle. You know, it's, uh, but in, as, I, as I considered it, and especially the part of Pentecost that God was leading me to, that stirred my heart for us today, uh, I felt it's a word that we always need to hear. Uh, so I want to I wanna think with you today about Peter's explanation to the crowd about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And um, it brought to, image of mind, uh, to, to my mind an image of something that used to happen to me as a boy growing up in Brooklyn. You know, uh, you, grow up, uh, and, uh, you grow up in the city, uh, or wherever, but the city streets were always hot, but we were always playing games of one kind or another. And, you know, you get very thirsty, and maybe somebody would find a hose somewhere, but maybe they wouldn't. Uh, and then maybe in the early afternoon, one of the big guys, the, the teenagers, would come out with a wrench, and they would open up the Johnny Pump. We called it a Johnny Pump. It was a fire hydrant. They'd open the fire hydrant, and that water would gush into the street, and then they would get a can that was opened at both ends and put it on the end of that, or get a board and put it underneath, and they would make a spray go into the air, and we would all get under there, and, you know, we'd cool off, and we'd open our mouth, <laughs> you know, and we'd drink the water. My mother would always get mad at me <laughs> for doing it, but uh, it was worth her wrath. <laughs> but, but um, I, you know, I thought of that, because Pentecost was God, in a sense, turning on the fire hydrant of heaven and pouring forth in abundance his spirit upon believers. And, and the wonderful part of it is, of course, what would happen in Brooklyn is a police car would come along after a while, and, we, and everybody would scatter, and they'd get a wrench, and they would close it down. That, that fire hydrant has never stopped. You know what I mean? The fire hydrant that God opened on the day of Pentecost when, he's, when this promise of Joel is fulfilled, continues to this very day and will continue until the return of Jesus. So I want to look at this passage and not the whole story of Pentecost because we're familiar with it. You know, the, the disciples gathered in the upper room devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for the promise that Jesus said the comforter would come, praying, and suddenly, and it's beautifully displayed. It's beautifully displayed in this stained glass window, you know. And suddenly there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Uh, and and, 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 a, and, and a, a tongue of a fire, a flame appeared and rested on each one individually. And they began to speak in, in, in other languages. Um, 
the language is not known to these Galileans. Uh, other languages. Uh, and, and as an expression of, of their joy of being filled with God. And, and, and there must have been like a veranda out there because the sound went into the street. Both the sound of the rushing mighty wind and the sound of all these voices. And people started to gather. And because it was... Uh, after Passover, there were, there were pilgrims from all the nations about with their native tongues, all very different. And they gathered and the people from the upper room went out and they were proclaiming the, the wondrous works of God. Remember that? And people heard and understood them in their own language. Uh, this, was the, this is the miracle of Pentecost. The word of God is to get out. And, and people says, what in the world is going on here? What in the world is going on? Uh, we hear them speaking and they identified, you know, we're from Brooklyn. <laughs> or, you know, we're from uh, China. We're, I mean, very diverse places. We hear them proclaiming the wonderful works of God. And some mocking said, remember? Some mocking said, ah, they're drunk. And Peter gets up, and beginning in Acts 2, verse 14, he explains to the crowd what's going on. But Peter, uh, I'm going to read 14 to 18. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's the first hour of the day was 6 a.m., so the third hour of the day is 9 o'clock in the morning. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Uh, now, in one translation, it says, this is that. This is that. Joel said what it was. And then he... he he quotes Joel chapter 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And Father, we pray that uh, we might have a great understanding of the privilege that is ours as children of the Most High to receive the filling of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that we'd all stay very much in that wondrous flow, that gift of the Holy Spirit that you have promised and that you have given and that you still give and that you shall give until Jesus returns. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are, there are just a couple of things. I want to break this verse up. In the last days, I want to talk with you about uh, the timing or the season in the last days. I will pour out my spirit, I want to talk about the supply, upon all flesh. I want to talk about the recipients, because that's a strange word, upon all flesh. 
And there's a consequence. I want to talk a little bit about the result. All of this before 12 o'clock. My goodness, time, time flies. <laughs> I hope we're having fun anyway. Even when you're not having fun, but I hope we're having fun. So what is the time? In the last days. Now, Joel, of course, prophesied 700 years before this event. And um, he was looking forward to the last days. Now, what in Scripture are the last days? The last days is that period of time preceding, immediately preceding the return of Christ. And it's introduced with the advent of the Messiah, with the coming of the Messiah to the earth. Those are the last days. Now, beloved, I want to say very simply, these are the last days that we're living in. It started, it started when Jesus ascended, uh, rose from the dead after he died for us, rose from the dead, ascended on high, sat at the right hand of the Father from which he gave the Spirit. It started then, and it ends with the return of Christ to the earth to establish the kingdom on the earth. So, we, we are living in the last days. Now, you say to me, well, the last days have lasted kind of a long time. But if we think of it not as a time, but as a season, or more accurately, uh, I, I, heard th I heard this explanation. Up to the advent of Jesus, when Jesus was born, time was moving in a straight line to the last days, to the return of Christ. And then afterwards, it started to move parallel. Now, let me explain this uh, with a very, I hope, a simple illustration. Uh, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I mean, the Grand Canyon's an amazing place. And I remember going to the Grand Canyon. Uh, we approached the canyon. Now, the bus driver parked the bus, and he says, the canyon is that way. Now, I tell you the truth, you can't see the canyon because it's a hole in the ground. You can't see it until you're there, right? So we walked to the canyon, and we walked to the rim. And you could look at the canyon, but we didn't keep walking. We turned, and we started to walk around the edge of the Grand Canyon. And first we were walking two, but once we had arrived, then we were walking parallel or along the edge. At any moment, we could step off that edge and go into the canyon. But as long as we stayed parallel, we didn't, we, we fortunately, we were safe. Now, in a way, that's an image. It's just an image to try to explain what the last days are. We are walking. When Jesus poured out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we began walking along the edge of the return of Christ. So the return of Christ is always imminent. It could always happen momentarily. But God is patient because he wants the full number of those who are saved to come in. Now, well, all of that to say, all of that to say, these are the last days. This promise, beloved, this promise is for us. Some people break it up to an early and then an end time. I think the whole time is we are always in the last days. And so the promise of Joel is a promise to us. But now, the other thing is the supply. 
I will, the word is so exciting to me, I will pour, I will pour out my spirit. Now that word pour is a very, uh, it's a very uh, generous word. There's a great verse in John 3.34 that says, for he whom God has sent, Jesus is talking about himself, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He gives the Spirit without measure. So God doesn't say, oh, well, here's a little of the Spirit for you, and here's a little of the Spirit for you, and and maybe just a little more for you, because you have to lead worship, and here's... You know what God does? He pours out his spirit upon us. There's always abundance, more than we need. It's, it's, and you've heard me talk about this perhaps in the past, but it's, it's like the Italian word, abondanza. You know, in, in Italian families, you always, you always got to have a, 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 an abundance, an abondanza of food. It's always, you got to put away as much food as people have eaten. Otherwise, you didn't have enough, you know. Uh, but, but it's that, that sense of abundanza. That he, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In other words, beloved, when we come, when we come to God, he's not stingy with us. You know, God is, God is generous. He's overly generous. Because he loves us and he wants us to have fullness. He wants us to have fullness, not portion of the spirit. So that's the supply. Uh, He gives the spirit without measure. John 3.34, I love that verse. And then, of course, they're the recipients. Now, I think here we have to get um, uh, some clarity from the scripture itself. Because he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, if you stop there, it means that all flesh, and by the way, the word flesh is the Greek word sarx, which means the, the, the fleshiness of the body. I mean, he's talking about real bodies. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So it sounds as though... God is pouring out a spirit upon the whole world. Believers and unbelievers alike. I mean, it sounds that way if you stop there. And in a way, I kind of like that image. Uh, I think there's some degree of God pouring out his spirit so he could draw people to himself who are not his, etc., etc. But I think we need to read a little further on in order to understand it. Because he says... I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then he says what will happen. But in verse 18, he says, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. By the way, to understand the drasticness, if there is such a word, of this, on my female servants. The clarity of the, 
of, of the place that women have in the kingdom of God to receive and to minister was something that was, would have been a hard pill for most Jews to follow, to swallow. So anyway, on, and, and he says, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So he qualifies. Joel, the prophet, God through Joel qualifies the prophecy. All flesh is to be defined as male servants and female servants. And by the way, there is no other qualification. There are no dividing, listen, there are no dividing lines in the kingdom of God. Race, ethnicity, political opinion, background, denominational uh, belonging, identity. There are no dividing lines. In fact, the prayer for unity is a wonderful prayer that we need to put into not only praying, but into practicing. But I, by the way, this is a wonderful example. This congregation is a wonderful example that there are no qualifications on all flesh except my male servants and my female servants. So let me ask you then, what is the qualification to be in this poor? What do you need to be to be in this abundanza of God's provision of pouring out a spirit? Well, it's not me. It's the word of God. You got to be a servant. You got to be a servant. That's okay, brother. It can, yeah, it'll drop again. <laughs> you got to be a servant. So I want to ask you a question. Are you a servant of the Most High God? Uh, we had a wonderful time of worship. And by the way, worshiping is serving the Lord. Because we're giving God honor and glory that belong to him. But if it's only worship, God doesn't want it. I, I, by the way, that's not me. That's Amos. Take away from me the sound of your harp and lyre. There is stench in my nose, in my ears. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing. So, so, I mean, worship can't stand alone. It has to be with serving God, you know? Hey, serving God means I have a surrendered heart to serve him as he calls me. I, you know, I've been a pastor many years, and once uh, I was talking to someone about becoming a believer, a follower of Jesus, she said, and she said to me, oh, I, I can't do that. I said, well, why? She says, well, God may want to call me as a missionary to Africa. And I told her, I says, you know, if God wanted you to go as a missionary to Africa, he'd put the desire in your heart to go, and it would be the, there'd be nothing else that would be greater for you than to go as a missionary to Africa if God wanted you to go. So what, what kind of desire is God putting in your heart? And if you say, well, God, I'll do this, but I won't do that. 
Yeah, God, send me. Do, do with me whatever you want. But when it comes to forgiving this person from the heart, uh, forget about it. Well, God understands our infirmities, by the way. But the, you know what we can say? Lord, I, I can't do it, but I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing to be made willing. So, so the, the question, beloved, comes up. Are you a servant? Now, finally, what's the consequence? What's the outflow? Standing in the ever-flowing stream of the Holy Spirit, what happens in our life? Well, he tells us, verse 17, quoting Joel again, he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, to prophesy is to speak God's truth into the world by what we do and say. Your sons and your daughters will. And you know, it just strikes me again and again, because I'm subject to this pressure myself this pressure to kind of keep it private, keep my faith private and to myself. I believe we need to be respectful. But you know, how do I bring what God has done in word and in deed into the world? Now, I, I realize prophecy is, uh, a lot more could be said about this, or sermons could be preached about, preached about it. I'm taking it in the very broadest sense. But what's at, at least hoping, opening up here is that every single person who's a son or a daughter of God has an opportunity to minister and has a place in the ministry of the church in the church and in the world, all right? No one's, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is part of the outflow. Now, what, what, what in the world is Joel talking about? What kind of visions? Well, I don't, I, I don't know, but I believe that visions are visions of what God is doing in the world. They're having visions of what may not be now, but what can be. You know? Sometimes we get so caught up in the day to day to day, the current, the, the things that zap and sap our energy and our attention, that we don't see what can be done. Your young men shall see visions when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it doesn't say it, but it's certainly women also, young women. And then it, <laughs> then it comes to my category. Your old men shall dream dreams. I wonder what that means. What kind of dreams do we old men and old women dream when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, I, I can tell you what I think it's not. 
It's not dreaming about the past. It's not dreaming about what's been. That's one of the dangers of getting past 50 like I am right now. <laughs> oh, believe that, I'll tell you another one. No, I mean, I am past 50 as a matter of fact. But I, don't, I don't know where old starts. I really don't. In fact, I don't think I'm there, but that's debatable. But when, you know, there's a tendency to start to go through life looking in a rearview mirror. Oh, it was so nice then, and we did it that way. You know, we used to do that, and now we don't do it anymore. And it was so nice when, you know, I remember an old song by Carly Simon. Anticipation, it was the title. But these are the good old days, she would say. But these are the days that are the last days. So when we dream dreams, it has to be the same, I, I believe it has to be the same quality of the young men seeing visions. They see out of their strength, out of their ability to act, things that are possible with God and they venture forth. And we see things that are possible with God and we dream because we don't have strength to venture anymore. But then we pray, you see. And so, there's this wonderful, wonderful promise of this open fire hydrant pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up as I, as I close. But I, uh, I listen uh, uh, daily to a wonderful devotional app called Lectio 365. And today there was a prayer in it. And I thought, Lord, this is a prayer for this message. This is a prayer for us. So I'm going to read the prayer. And then I'm going to pray it once. And then I'm going to pray it one more time. And perhaps after hearing it, you can make it your own prayer in your heart. It's a, it's a short prayer. And this is what the prayer said. Holy Spirit, revive us again. Come to us once more as you came to that first prayer room in Jerusalem that we might be propelled out of our meetings and onto the streets with new courage to preach the gospel that thousands might encounter the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a vision, and it's a dream. So let's pray this prayer. I want to pray it, and then I'll invite you in the quietness of your heart to make it yours as I pray it one more time. Holy Spirit, revive us again. Come to us once more as you came to that first prayer room in Jerusalem that we might be propelled out of our meetings and onto the streets with new courage to preach the gospel 
that thousands might encounter the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be so. And we pray with great thanksgiving. Amen. Let's all stand.